It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Wonderful Super Sunday night to you in Las Vegas. Welcome to Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. That's 98.9 FM. That's 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Ryan with you here in very cold Las Vegas. My partner, as always, and also a very cold destination city, New York City, Tommy Barton. Tommy, we were talking last night. I was out at doing some, uh, some, you know, some fun things. And, and we we're talking about the weather and you're like, uh, it's 35 here. It was actually 45 where I was, Tommy, but I was nice and bundled up. So I, I made it through the night, got lots to talk about tonight, but I want to start the show off with, if we're talking about the cold weather, Tom Barton sports is the opposite of that. Not red hot. Doesn't even describe Tom Barton sports right now. Tommy, you are, uh, you're an uncontrollable fire. How about that? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the, the best stretches I've had in my career, Tim. Um, I am 13 and three in the NFL over the last 30 days. That's all documented. All check it out at TomBartonSports.com. My free plays that I've been giving out one play a week. I'm doing it here. I do, do it with the Believe Podcast Network. I do a video on my YouTube so you guys can all check that out and see when it's time posted. Uh, six and zero the last six weeks in my free play, Tim. Three and zero in college football on Saturday, which now means I am hitting a cool eighty percent over the last three weeks in football plays. It, I am when you say red hot, and it's not a sustained red. It's not just oh this weekend, which I went five and zero over the uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, you know, weekend. No, it's not just this weekend. We're talking about five weeks of red hot on fire. And as a matter of fact, for the entire year, Tim, yeah, the entire NFL year is closing in on 65% as well. So TomBartonSports.com is rocking and rolling. I feel bad. I actually had a guy write me from Hawaii, and uh, he wrote me early in the week, and he said, you know, I have a small bankroll, and he was asking me questions, and we don't do hard sells here. And he said, you know, can I make money? I said, listen, I don't want you to miss out. I got a Thursday play. I have at least two plays coming up. Um, over the weekend in the NFL, I got three plays in college. So why don't you just j- just jump on board, right? Take the twenty five dollars for three days package and see what we could do for you. Even if you don't like the two hundred bucks for the thirty days, he said I'm going to wait. He wrote me today, I, and we were just like, dude, you missed three and zero in the NFL <laughs> since Thursday. Three and zero college football. You would have not only made your money back, you would have double, triple, and quadrupled your money at this point. Um, so yeah, do not delay. Jump on TomBartonSports.com right now because I am red, red, red hot. And we're going to talk, of course, NFL football here in the show. We'll get you ready for next week's games. We're off for the holiday, but there's games Thursday. Well, there's a game tomorrow. There's games Thursday and then Sunday again. So we'll, we'll get into those as many. And uh, Tim. Unlike some Thanksgivings, not to interrupt you here, but unlike some Thanksgivings, Tim, these are good games. These are intriguing games. Sometimes we get Thanksgiving games where you got, you know, Lions and Bears and they're both got three wins on the season and nobody cares. And then Dallas plays, you know, some pushover team or, 
uh, you know, some random team. And then the night game is, oh, okay, you know, it, it's Pittsburgh and Baltimore. It's a good game, but we know they're both going to the playoffs. No, no, no. I mean, Vikings-New England is a huge game, especially for the New England Patriots to stay in it. Now Giants-Dallas becomes massive, and Detroit's on fire. Look, the Bills still haven't looked good, so I think we get three really good matchups, at least three intriguing matchups. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. We'll look at the early lines here tonight, and we'll look at um, a whole bunch more in hour two here with the NFL we do want to start tonight, Tommy, with the cynical part of the show where I talk about Las Vegas professional sports. And just real quickly, Las Vegas Raiders, you thought they won the Super Bowl today, Tom. They, they get that, that broken touchdown in, in the overtime period to beat Denver. You'd think that they'd won the Super Bowl, man. Give me a break. Look, I think it's – I always think that when you're playing an emotional sport, I feel like, okay, there's a certain amount of emotion that's perfectly fine. I thought Devontae Adams waving goodbye in a just the, the most biggest flex that he could think of at that moment is ridiculous. Look, your team is out of the playoffs. They're talking about throwing your coach away, you know, firing him, getting rid of your quarterback, and you're sitting there with a big fat check being maybe the only guy on the team that's produced. I get it. You're happy for the win. It's fantastic. Did it save the season? No, it did not. Um, are you lucky to barely squeak by Denver? Yeah, look, it's a rival, Tim. You should be happy. You should be able to celebrate. But there's a certain celebration situation. And, guys, this is not an anti-Raiders thing. Look, anybody that's listened to the show for the last uh, better part of what the last 12 years, Tim, you know I'm a Yankee fan. And it drives me nuts when you know the Yankees sit back and they, you know, they, they, they go out there and they win a one-game playoff. Or they, they win the wild card round and, oh, let's pop the champagne. Absolutely not. No. You're supposed to be bigger and better than that. If you have that kind of record, no, move on. So have your celebration. Be happy for it. But you're right. The overreaction. I read from multiple, multiple Raiders fans. This saved the season. They're crawling back into the playoffs. And I had to kind of think about it and say, man, Elon Musk has got to check out these parody accounts because these guys don't have parody next to them. And I just assumed that they were joking around. The waving goodbye at another player. I didn't catch catch who it was. F bomb and everybody had to cut away from him because he was doing uh, like exactly. Be happy. That was an emotional win. It's been a tough season. I get all of that. Probably saved your your coach's job for now. <laughs> if they would have lost, I'm not so sure. And we had this argument um, last week, Tommy, when you were out on where Josh McDaniels, where the axe falls, and a lot of us. There were a lot of um, comments that that they won't do it right now because Mark Davis has come out and, and basically said that he's OK with the job that he's done. So losses after losses add up. And, and you know, at some point, pressure builds on you. And look, is McDaniels going to last the season? I don't know. It doesn't matter to me, Tom. It's, I just felt like today watching that and, and you just beat a team that has three wins as well. It's not like you just took out Buffalo or Kansas City or Dallas. You beat a three win Denver Bronco team whose coach is gone soon as well. So know your role, get the win, move on, and maybe you can put something together. Maybe you can string some wins together. But that's where it should have left it at, and it just – it was typical for me. It was a typical Raider uh, aura. By the way, a team, Tom, that hasn't been in, the playoff, been in the playoffs once in the last 20 years. They have the second-worst record in the last 20 years 
as far as NFL franchises and you're, you're showboating and acting like that. The only thing that would have been worse for me is if that game would have been in Allegiant Stadium because then I really would have been pissed off. Well, Tim, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of the reason that you, you sit back and you look at Josh McDaniels as maybe giving him a little stronger leash. Obviously, the Brady stuff is out there and it's year one and all that, right? But I think a lot of the reason why he even got hired is because of the Belichick factor, right? I mean, he's a Belichick guy. Could you imagine if Bill Belichick's two-win team beat a two-win, let's just say, New York Jets team and then started talking trash and waving at other opponents? Could you could, could you imagine that? No. Is it a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. But doesn't it kind of show you where the team is sitting? Doesn't it kind of show you who Josh McDaniels is as a coach? Um, it shows where this team's mindset is, that they win three games and they're doing backflips like this, uh, almost literally. It shows you what kind of control or lack thereof he has of this team. And I think that people are going to rip on this, go, oh, come on, you know, you got to celebrate a win. Yes, you, you do have to celebrate a win. But in this spot, with your season spiraling down like this, it was just a bad look. And maybe it was, Tom, the, the celebration that, I, so look, I get, I get it. This is this is the way I looked at it. Was Devonte Adams was basically invisible in the second half. They looked terrible, and he was able to to break out on that. He you know he he burned Sertain and got in the end zone. Okay, that was like you said. That was the first thing that popped out. Was emotional. Okay, but what are you waving at? Who are you waving at? You're, <laughs> Yeah, that's, I think that's he's the waving thing. goodbye to the fans. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, guess what? You could have been waving goodbye to your season, but that happened weeks ago. Right. They're in the same boat as you. So it is what it is, right? I just had to bring it up because I guess I'll never understand um, the game because I didn't play it, and I'm not going to play it ever. So I don't know what they're feeling at that moment other than I'm sure it's been a very frustrating season. There's no doubt about that. And that was maybe a, some release of a game they finally got to go their way, right, Tom? All these games that they led, double digits, uh, fourth quarter leads, the Arizona game right early in the season sticks out uh, as a sore thumb that kind of spiraled after that. And these were games that they were winning last year the same way. Guess what? Things even out. And it just came back their way today on a positive side. So we'll see. They get the Seahawks next. So let's see how they do, Tom. Yeah, Seahawks next week. I'll tell you, you look at this Raiders team, and I, I did like certain aspects. Look, I have been down on McDaniel since before he was hired. I thought it was a bad situation. But I didn't like the way that he's coaching, meaning we knew for how long that Jacobs needs to get the ball. Luke needs to get the ball. He needs to be the guy. And when Jacobs carries the ball and carries the ball for over 100 yards and kind of is the man, guess what? They win games. So I give them plenty of credit for what they did today. Derek Carr looked good, but Josh Jacobs was the main guy this this game, and he kind of led it, led the way, and that's that. I like that. I like that maybe the Raiders are learning. Maybe they're growing up. Maybe they're kind of turning a leaf. That's all fine. But like you said, there's emotion, and then there's predetermined, I'm going to shove it in your face. A three-win team should not be shoving in the face of anybody, <laughs> right, of anybody. Uh, this is the equivalent of a team storming the court against an unranked opponent that, you know, that's having a down year. No, it doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. So you look at this Raiders team, you go, they are dangerous. They're a dangerous team because of their talent level. They're clearly a talented team. 
they're a dangerous team if they start to learn the right way and start to hand the ball to Jacobs like they should and really start to feed him and be a part of the offense as the year goes on. They can be a thorn in team sides. But make, make no mistake about it. This season is over. They're not saving the season. And you go up into Seattle's coming off of a bye week. The spread's only three and a half, Tim. Again, I think it shows that the public just doesn't believe in Seattle or the public just thinks that the Raiders are going to turn this thing around. I'm actually glad you brought up the Jacobs thing. I was going to save it for the the segment on the, the NFL uh, recap. But we'll, we could talk about it now because as I'm watching the game, and he ripped off a run early in the game, and, and they kept feeding him. And I was like, look, you and I can sit on the couch and be armchair quarterbacks all we want and sit there and yell at the TV. And I, I know I've, I've had it in text threads with you and I numerous times this year. If he's what's working, why are you going away from it? And, and it seemed like today you're right, Tom, that maybe something clicked in McDaniel's head other than, hey, I might not have a job soon, is that if he's eating up chunks of yardage, keep going down that well until it dries, right? And I, I, I agree. I think that you saw that happen today. He had a big game. Yeah, they, they, were, um, they were lucky to win it, but he kept them in it. And he had that huge pass out of the backfield there to get him, get him in that situation in, in, at the end of the fourth quarter. Is it just really that simple? Why is it so complicated, Tom? Football is X's and O's, right? Why are you and I saying, why isn't Jacobs getting the ball 20-plus times a game? And he just continues to go through the air. go Because he's in love. McDaniels is in love with his own playbook, right? But today it looked like he just went with the nuts and bolts. And look what it got him. I mean, eventually that big play that he likes to see, it did happen in the overtime period. They got the win. But without Jacobs, they, they would have lost this game by double digits. No, no issue there. Tim, I'm going to go back to a great reference for us old guys and go back to, to Rocky when he takes on Mr. T, right? You got to switch it up. The only way he was going to beat him, the guy was bigger, stronger, better. Mr. T was a better fighter. Um, the only way you're going to switch it up is confuse him, do something that you don't do. The problem with guys like McDaniels, guys like Shanahan, right, which um, are good coaches. You could be a good coach, but you stick to your ways. And it doesn't matter what is going on. No, nope, I'm going to stick to my ways. Then you have guys like Andy Reid, and you got to have guys like John Harbaugh, that they play with what you're given. Andy Reid used to be a running guy. Oh, yeah, I'm going to run all day. Oh, wait a minute. What? I, you give me Donovan McNabb? No, I'm going to throw it. Oh, oh I'm going to go back to the run. Oh, wait a minute. You know, I had Jamal Charles. I'm running all day. No, hold on a second. I got Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to switch it up. You have to be able to be fluid. And some of these guys just get so into their own head. And look, a lot of people saying that about Belichick, right? Running game and defense. Uh, is still how he's running the show instead of airing it out. So it, it's it's even the greats can do it. Josh McDaniels is certainly not great, but what he is doing is just staying in his own lane. This is my team, my system. We're going to do it my way, even if the other way is better to win games. I don't think he cares. He's going to give you the excuse that he's building a culture. He's going to give you an excuse that he's building a team, that he's building what he wants to put together. And that excuse will eventually run him out of town unless something drastic happens here. I think that excuse also is that when you look at um, the offseason with the, with the hiring of the GM, New England blood, McDaniels, they chose, Tom, remember we talked about this, they chose not to give Jacobs that extension. He's free agent after this season. So guess what? If you want him back, <laughs> it's going to cost you. Just look at it that way. If you want him back, it's going to cost you. Now, but I don't think he wants him. And I don't time. think they pay him. I don't think they no. pay him. 
I don't think so either. I don't think he wants them. That's the problem. No, I, I, I think he wants to have his team the way that he wants to have his team, and he doesn't want holdovers. If if you sat down Josh McDaniels in a you know a dark room and asked him what does your team look like in three years, I'd be stunned if anybody outside of uh, Devontae Adams on offense is is in that plan. I don't think Renfro is. I don't think Waller is. I don't think Carr is. I don't think the offensive line is. I don't think Jacobs is. Defensively. I'd be shocked if a lot of those guys are there. Obviously, guys like Max and probably Chandler Jones are. But outside of that, he wants a complete overhaul. He wants to make this team his team. We see that happen in the NFL, except sometimes overthinking yourself, like he has done a lot of this year, really gets him into hot water. It's a nice win today. Don't take anything away from it. But it's a nice win because he put his ego in the back seat and said, we're going to run the ball. More NFL talk here later in the show. Let's stay with the pigskin, though, Tom. Let's talk about the other quote-unquote professional football team in Las Vegas. That's the UNLV Rebels. They drop a must-win. If you're if you're looking at must-wins with an uh, a record under 500, we're really scrambling here. But they dropped a must-win game over in Hawaii Saturday night. Six loss in a row. No bowl game again for UNLV. And, Tommy, can I say it? Can I say we told you so? Nobody listens, Tim. The hate mail comes to Tom Barton Sports. The hate mail comes to HW Sports, especially when when they got out to that winning streak. And we reassessed the season. And I said, you know, I don't know, guys. I don't know about that Hawaii game. I I don't know. And, oh, come on. you got to be kidding me. We talked about this uh, personally. We talked about this on the phone this week where so many people before that game were already counting on a bowl game. Who were they going to play in a bowl? What was the score going to be when they beat the bowl? Where, where would they be for the bowl game? Oh, how do I get tickets? I mean, people were talking about which bowl they were in with two games to play. And yeah. it was a foregone conclusion that, of course, they would extend Arroyo. It was a foregone conclusion that, of course, they were going to a bowl game. And all I kept saying, all you kept saying is, Guys, these are dangerous games. You called it out. This is senior night in Hawaii. That's a culture that is very, very, very close to pride and and dedication in that Hawaiian culture. They weren't going to just lay down, and they didn't. And then next week at Nevada, they should roll over them. But hold on a minute. You know, again, it's a rivalry game. You can't just look at these games and just chalk them up. You're not good enough to be that. You're not that team. Here's the sad thing, Tim. I actually took a couple of screenshots I was going to send you on Facebook right after the loss, right? And the Facebook UNLV page saying things like, all right, guys, no big deal. It's a great year. And no matter what happens, it's still a great year. It's an improvement from last year. All right, we didn't make a bowl game, but so so what? I read the word great, Tim, in the first 25 posts. I read the word great nine times. That, that is an exorbitant amount of people after a loss saying it's a great year. People are just in this position where they forget how much, what, two months ago they were saying that this team is going to be an eight-win team. Remember we were talking about the posts? We were naming names. People in the media saying eight wins. Eight yeah. wins. Eight. Right? I mean, people in the media. Uh, yeah, look, they had a good year if you had your expectations where – you had them earlier in the season where me and Tim had them. We came out here, both of us. We talked about four or five wins on the season. We both had them missing a bowl game. We both had them missing a bowl game by one or two games here or there. 
And almost universally, we were the only people in the media that didn't see them making a bowl. So, you know, again, Tim, we could be hated on and we could be this and we could be that. And, oh, you guys are are just uh, saying things to be anti. No, it's true. Once again, another year where we pinpointed and most of the Las Vegas media, they go the other way and they're wrong. We're right. So our expectations, my expectation of the season was exactly what we're looking at. They win against Nevada. Okay. You know, that's a, a solid year for me. But I didn't put them into a bowl game. Anybody that puts them into a bowl game, this has got to be a letdown for you. And if your expectation was a bowl game, then you've got to be upset about this game. The wonderful thing about a coin, right, Tom, is there's two sides. And whatever side you're on is what it is. I feel like sometimes the impression in the media, no matter what market you're in, but especially here, is that if you're not on the home side, nobody wants to listen to you. And and I get it, right? If you're a casual sports fan, you want to root for your home team. I I, get, I understand all of that. I was a fan at one point too before <laughs> this uh, this media sucked me into being a very I wouldn't even say uh, partial person anymore because I'm not. I just look at things very differently since doing this in the last 20 years almost. But if you're a casual fan. So be it. You want to root for your home team? I have no problem with that. I have. I still have teams I root for. You know that. If you're a hardcore sports fan, I think you respect the media in that. If you're not trying to fluff everything, actually, let's put it this way: if you're if you're a sports beat writer or you're covering a team and you want to do fluff pieces on players and coaches and games, I'm okay with that too because that's your niche, right? But to go in and try to, to spew out facts and try to make them what they are when they're not, that's where I have a problem. And I think that's where the hardcore sports fan differs from the UNLV fan base because they always want the positive, but they won't accept anything of the negative. And you and I were right. I think you had them at four or five. I want to say I lowball them at three. And they, they're, you know, they're going to have a chance to win, what, Tom? Five. But the way that they've gotten to five – and they're not even there yet. The way, if they win next week, the way they get to five is not what you would call a productive season. To start four and one and lose six games in a row, and then you win your last game to get to five, that's not productive for me. And that's not like, in my mind, that's not better than having only three wins last year. Somewhere in that season, you lost it. And, and I think when we went through each game by game, we kind of all got to the end of the season, and we were like, you know what, it doesn't matter. These last two games, for whatever reason, are going to be big for this school if you're talking about a bowl bid. They didn't even get to the last game, Tom. They lost the game before that to a team they should have beaten. I wouldn't say easily, but they should have beat them. And did you see the way Hawaii reacted winning that game? That's the fan base you want to have for a program that had two wins coming into this game, but still laid it all on the line uh, last night and were the better team on the football field. There's no doubt about that. That's what Rebel fans should be looking at as fan support, not the way they treat this team. But you know, Tim, I, I think, I think oftentimes people don't uh, understand that you have to be fluid in sports and readjust your your mindset. And I think readjusting your mindset, like you said, you can still wind up with the same amount of wins, but it's a different feel. I talked about it in the preseason, and the exact word why I believe that they would not make the a. a bowl game this year was because their schedule was brutal in the middle. And I said, guys, I don't think you realize how it is for an athlete to not win a game for two months. 
And that's mm-hmm. what's going on here in Vegas, right? I mean, it's been two-plus months since they've gotten a win. They have forgotten how to win. And that really hurt them with this Hawaii game. This is not on the Rebels necessarily, and I'm bashing them. It's just like you said, how you got to a record is speaks as much volumes as the actual record itself. We talk about it on other sports. Would you rather be you know, the Minnesota Vikings and go 8-0 or, or the Eagles and go 8-0? but getting ousted in the first round of the playoffs? Or do you want them to be the team like the Bengals last year that got hot, hot late when nobody paid attention, and all of a sudden you're playing the Super Bowl? It matters how you get to your record. It's not just X's and O's. It's not just statistics and numbers. It matters how you get there. What we see in UNLV is a culture that is okay with less than mediocre play. And that's the problem. You you have a team that before the preseason speaking to most and I know that people are going to call us and write us and you guys can speaking to most UNLV fans before the year we called them out on the air bowl game or bust was kind of the the motto that was it it was bowl game or bust for UNLV this year and most people's mindsets now I didn't believe it you didn't believe it but that's the way it was they came out of the gate Idaho State then North Texas, then Utah State, then New Mexico, and we're looking at four and one. Four and one and bowl game or bust turned into championship or bust. Four and oh, or four and one turned into eight wins or bust. Okay, so you reset your clock. That's okay with me. But now that we're sitting here and we're sitting staring at no bowl game, no eight wins, no championship. You can't now go back and say wins in the beginning of the year, fluff wins against Idaho State, okay, to get you even to the four wins. Fluff wins in that spot are are okay because of how you got here. No, they were humiliated at San Jose State, humiliated against Air Force, beaten up by Notre Dame. That game was not as close as it was, okay? You played close at San Diego State. You played close to Fresno State. You played close to Hawaii. So you're losing close games. You're getting absolutely your tail just whooped all over the field by three other teams. It's now been months, months since you've gotten a W. I don't want to hear from the people that said it's bowl game or bust. And then you go bust and say it's a good year. No, you you don't get there the same way. You don't get to do that as a fan. Keep your expectations level or shoot for the stars. And when those stars fail, then speak up. Because the only way anything's going to change in UNLV for the football program, the only thing anything's going to change in any organization or any franchise, even professional, is if the fans start speaking up. When the Rebels lose on the road to Hawaii in an, a must-win game where they were a double-digit favorite in the manner that they lost, and they haven't won in months, instead of taking to social media that the UNLV administration office and the UNLV athletic department is reading, instead of going there and saying, oh, it's okay, good year, Arroyo did fine, go there with animosity, go there with anger. We wanted more from you. We needed more from you. We demand more from you. But you just don't get that from the UNLV fan base. No, what you get is they, they turn their attention to basketball. Hey, we're undefeated. You know, Screw the football team. It really is sad. And watch how, and watch how this is going to unfold for them too. Yeah, no, I, I see it every year, Tom. You know, I see it every year. Um, when will you be done? When UNLV fans, when will you be done making excuses for your for your team? When uh, when will it get to the point that you absolutely will speak up and demand a better product 
demanded. I'm not talking about, well, you know what? We went from three wins to four wins. Oh, good year. No, demand putting together a competitive team that has a tremendous stadium, tremendous complex, a generally, look, Tim, I know they get under your skin, but a really good fan base. When are you going to demand more? When? Look, I don't disagree. I sat, and this isn't even football because it's a joke they play in Allegiant Stadium with the fan turnout that they get. But I sat in the Thomas Mack Center where the basketball team played a top 25 school on Tuesday night, Tom. I sent you pictures. And they want to, you want to read things on, online about this is the loudest crowd they've heard in years. Like, just stop. Just stop. Oh, that's what they were saying on, on TV, Tim. I was yeah. watching it from my freezing cold New York living room and chuckling because you're sending me pictures of the crowd and the, the guys that, that are doing the uh, television broadcast. Oh, it reminds us, the building reminds us of Tarkiers. This is it. It's back. UNLV basketball is back. They had to say it three, four, five times, uh, just absolutely gushing over how loud the crowd was, how great the crowd was. Meanwhile, I have you from the stadium texting me and sending me videos. <laughs> it just It just didn't match up. I sent you a video. They were saying, let's go Flyers. They're playing Dayton. They're playing, let's go Flyers. And the crowd was loud, Tim. Yeah. No, you're right, though. When, when do you demand it? I don't, I don't know if that even becomes – I don't even know if that's ever going to be a thing again, to tell you the truth. And it pains me to say it, but I, I don't think it'll ever be a thing. I guess the, the question now is – and this was a good debate that I saw over on that their Twitter. Arroyo, when do you pull, when do you pull the plug on him? You're not going to because there are, like I said, there is a large portion of the fan base that is going to be happy if he wins against Nevada. And they're going to go, okay, five-win season, I'm happy with that. There really is. And that's my point, Tim. Until the fan base speaks up, they're going to let these guys go out there and just keep putting out four or five wins. Keep missing bowl games. Keep going out there and just putting together a product that makes you feel okay. Just about just about okay, Right. I mean, it's frustrating. And and you can get on my case for saying, you know what, you're looking from the outside in and you don't know what it's like. And uh, what I do know is that you have the facilities, you have the city, and you have the backing to be- have the best recruits in the conference. I don't think that that's an arguable point. And you've continued to just put out a less I, – I won't even call it mediocre, Tim. It's mediocre is middle of the road. No, a less than mediocre program. You continue to put out a joke program for the better part of a decade. That's a problem. Yeah, that, that was – there are uh, many, many people. You can't fire him. He needs to get his full run. You still got to pay him. I get all of that. But the thing that they've never done since John Robinson was a coach here, Tom, that name, that's the thing they haven't done since then is at least bring a name in that, that has some recruiting ties that people know. John Robinson took him to bowl games. That, that's, is that what we want? If that's what, if we talked about this many, many times. If getting to a bowl game is, is the vision that you have that's acceptable for you, John Robinson was a name, and he did it. We have not had a name coach since John Robinson. And what have we produced? One bowl game appearance in that time. Tim, listen to these records. I have the records in front of me. Mike Sanford, 16 and 43, 271 winning percentage. Bobby Houck, 
15 and 49. Didn't think he could do worse than Sanford. Well, 234 winning percentage. Tony Sanchez. Oh, I mean, he's the high watermark here at 20 and 40 with a 333 winning percentage. And then Arroyo comes in at 6 and 17 with a 261 winning percentage. Yeah. Uh, nobody could break 35% winning mark. I, I mean, are, are we joking here? Are, are we kidding? And you, like you said, bring in a big name. Yeah, bring bring in just a winner. Bring in somebody. Don't tell me that these other teams aren't doing it right. These There are other teams in the country this year that hired a guy in the offseason and, and are going to a bowl game. They're doing it right. And they're doing it right with less than what UNLV has. UNLV keeps kind of dipping into the same sort of talent pool. And that same sort of talent pool at coach has produced 16 and 43, 15 and 49, 20 and 40, and 6 and 17. And the one with the most wins was a high school football coach. Think about that. That they could yeah. they couldn't wait to run him out of town. Couldn't wait. Yeah. Well, look, I I didn't like that hire. I didn't like Arroyo. I I mean I didn't like any of the high. I didn't understand. Let me stop here. I liked the guy. I didn't understand the hire. I didn't understand mm-hmm. the the idea to go this route. And I expressed my concern for Tony Sanchez and got extreme pushback. And I expressed my concern for Marcus Arroyo and got the same sort of pushback. I didn't understand the the reason for why are you bringing these guys on instead of experienced coaches that have proven that they could win at a different level. Uh, instead of going out and finding the Montana State coach, for example. Just, just throwing it out there, right? Going out there and finding a winning coach that has done less with a better program. No. No, high school coaches is the is the winningest coach since 1999. All right, Tom, call it Nevada, Reno at UNLV, three o'clock Saturday, Legion Stadium. UNLV a twelve and a half point favorite in this game, loses six in a row. I mean, I, th- I think UNLV wins, um, but not much has changed in my mind. I still believe that it's a tough game. They're at home. They are the better team. Uh, but I have a hard time. Look, I mean, the Wolf package is terrible. I mean, they really are a terrible team. And they played better, but they're they a pretty terrible team. Look, I, I just have a hard time banking on a team that literally hasn't won a game since September. Uh, that's what we're looking at here, right? Zero wins in October, zero wins in, in November. They haven't won a game in two months, Tim. I think it's really hard to win if you haven't won a game in two months. But you go and you look at their opponent and you go, well, they haven't won a game in a little bit longer than that. right? I mean, I don't know if they even know how to win. They haven't won a game since September 3rd, so it's been about th- almost three months here. I'm going to say that they win. I'm going to say that they win. They win the cannon. It, it feels good. It's a good exit story. People can hang their hat on almost making a bowl. I, I don't know if they're going to blow them out. Although Boise and Fresno State both scored into the forties on them, I don't think they blow them out. But I think it's probably a comfortable win. I agree. What's your What's your prediction? No, I agree. They get the win. They win the cannon. They win the rivalry game. Everybody paint the cannon red. Jumping up and down. What a way to close the season. Arroyo pumping his fist, walking off the field, right, Tom? Five wins, seven losses. What a complete uh, year to year. He's gotten better. I think that's the spin of it. And we sit here again in, what, 
six, seven months' time talking about how Union LV going into the next season, Tommy, setting that, that win goal at seven wins and a mandatory bowl. Heck, a chance at the Mountain West Conference title May game. How about that? I think that's what we're going to be talking about and how outrageous that sounds come July. How many people are in the, the stands, Tim? Next week? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I don't think a lot with the holiday. And, um, well, they can't get students to go to the game anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter. It's, it's I don't know, Tom. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's going to be, I guess it's senior night, so you got that going for you. But like you said, it's a holiday. I, I, I think it's going to be a sparse crowd. I'll tell you what. I'm going to be at Elysian Stadium tomorrow at 3.40 in the afternoon, everybody, to watch the Meadows play Lincoln County for the 2A state championship since my boy's playing. There might be more people at that game tomorrow than there will be Saturday. Tongue-in-cheek, right? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. It really wouldn't. I, I don't know. I don't know a fair, a fair number on that. I think you'll get – I think it'll be – the people that are around, I think it'll be a decent game. I don't know if – the tra- I don't think the travel is there for Reno. Uh, the students aren't going to be there, and I don't know. I I can't give you an educated guess on that one, Tom, so I'm not going to say anything. I don't think there's going to be many. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take the time out. First time out of the night here on a Super Sunday night. I'm going to talk a little baseball with Tom when we come back. NFL in hour number two. And we'll look at those Thanksgiving games as well here on Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Hello, you know us. We're a Major League Baseball team. But since we haven't won a pennant in over 30 years, nobody recognizes us, not even in our own hometown. That's why we carry the American Express card. No matter how far out of first we are, it's cool. You know, it keeps us from getting shut out at our favorite hotels and restaurant-type places. So if you're looking for some big league clock, apply for that little green home run heater. Look what it's done for us. People still don't recognize us, but we're contenders now. The American Express card. Don't steal home without it. Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. We're going to do a little baseball here, round out hour one of Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton. We're going to be off next week for the holiday, so early happy turkey day to everybody listening. We'll be back at it full weekend, December 3rd and 4th. Back on the air, full weekend, December 3rd and 4th. Tom, we've seen some of the free agent trickling here start to happen we've seen a couple trades minor trades happen obviously the big name guys are going to go a little bit further into the winter before they sign but before we talk about if there's anything you want to talk about some of the smaller deals i want to talk about the the news that has creeped out of la whether it's true or false i have to bring it up to you because i know this impacts you not only from your team's standpoint but maybe as a fan of certain player being named Aaron Judge, Tommy, with the Dodgers' recent moves and what they've said that they're going to declare declare with these uh, free agents that they're not going to re-sign or they're letting go for now, 
the rumor mill has them making a solid push now for all rise, Mr. Aaron Judge. What are your thoughts on this? Is it is it is there uh is there any steam behind this? Is it just words or do you feel like the Dodgers are gonna go all in here? I don't think that they're gonna go all in, but I, I think you have to be crazy to think that they weren't going to be competitive here. Uh, letting go of Cody Bellinger, maybe Trey Turner's going to be gone. I, I look at the Dodgers as always a competitor in the free agent market for every single person that, that's out there. I, I will say this. I had said after the season, I think he's going to San Francisco. I think Judge is a San Francisco giant. I had believed that for a long time. And, and you have to kind of look at why things happen, right? I think that there's a lot of why. If San Francisco and the Giants are the two bidding contenders, then why would the Giants not, or why would the Dodgers not say, hey, we're going to jump in knowing they have the most amount of money to make their rival in their division spend more than the other team that might spend more than them in their division or in the, the uh, Major League Baseball and the Yankees, right? So by the Dodgers saying we're interested, it automatically raises his price tag for the Giants. I think it's a strategic move. Now, do I think that they are going to be involved? Yeah, I do. I think that they want to be involved, of course. I I think that you always have to look at the Dodgers and take it serious. But I don't think Aaron Judge is seriously looking at L.A. I just don't. I followed this guy's career since the the day he was drafted, even before he was drafted. But uh, since the day he's been drafted, I followed it very, very, very carefully. I think that, and I've said this before, I think that he's more than just about the money. He is quickly becoming the face of baseball. He's been there for a while. He's going to get endorsements in LA, just like he would in San Francisco, just like he would in New York. He's becoming kind of that guy that you don't necessarily have to worry about. What's the difference between, and it sounds silly to us, what's the difference between 20, 30 million here or there? I don't think that he's that guy. I really don't because he can make it up on the back end. I think he wants to go to a place where not only is going to be a winner, but his legacy is continuing. His legacy is safe in New York if he goes to San Francisco. It gets tarnished if he goes to L.A. And I think that that's something he has to worry about. What I did like is Hal Steinbrenner came out this week, and he did a lot of talking about Peraza and a lot of talking about Volpe and getting into those guys and how they're going to play and uh, you know it, what he really believes. But he, he left a little nugget on the table and basically in his own Hal Steinbrenner way said, we will not be outbid for Aaron Judge. Well, that makes me feel good because that's the first time I've heard Hal Steinberg say that about anybody. There's also been a lot of rumors coming out of New York that the Yankees not only have the leverage of, hey, you're here in New York, but they would put him as the captain of the Yankees. And that is an allure that I think applies to an Aaron Judge. There are some guys that it wouldn't matter. I don't care if you're going to give me the captainship. Who cares, right? It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to get $10 million here. No, I don't think that's Aaron Judge. So, I still believe that the Dodgers, I I always believe the Dodgers were in play, but I think that the Dodgers would have to come in and make a monumentally better deal than the Yankees are willing to offer. Money-wise is not going to get it done. Years-wise might. If the Dodgers, if the Yankees are offering six years, seven years maybe, and the Giants are offering six years, seven years maybe, and the Dodgers come in with a 10-year deal guaranteed, Tim, Dodgers are going to land him. But I think that they are clearly the third team in the bidding war. You said, and now I'm going to go to the, the Tom Barton fan side of it. And we, we talked about icons and legends, uh, preferably staying with one franchise for their career. And again, 
through our lifetimes, through our lifespan, we've seen how because of free agency and money that's changed. But um, obviously, you you like Aaron Judge, like you said from day one. You would understand him signing with the Giants. That's where he's from. You, you understand that. If he signs with the Dodgers, and it's purely a money thing at that point, does does a little bit of that fandom wear off for you, Tom? Are you going to be able to cheer for him as a player wearing Dodger blue and white? No, not really. No, mm-hmm. I. There's a difference. Like, you know, I, I have my categories here, right? I have guys guys that I cheer for. I have. Guys that you know they're they're fine. I like, and then I have the, either the I don't care about you or I hate you. He won't ever go into the hate you, and I, he almost won't even go into the like the I like. He's almost I wouldn't care anymore. Aaron Judge would be sort of another player. I think the allure of Aaron Judge and one of the reasons why not only I like him as a player, but uh, most Yankee fans did, is because he was our next generational guy. So. You know, I brought my my son to his first Yankee game, and Derek Jeter was retiring. That was Derek Jeter's last opening day. Since then, we've been to games. Guess what number? Tommy's wearing number 99. You know, my daughter knows Aaron Judge. They both know Aaron Judge because he's our generation Don Mattingly. He's, I don't want to say Jeter yet, but he's our generation Don Mattingly. He's the face of the Yankees. When my kids think of the Yankees, they think Aaron Judge, right? That's who it is. We play home run derby. You know, you want to be Aaron Judge. That's that's the allure. So while he's a great player, I think you have to include everything. I think that it's the same thing as wanting to root for a player that's a good guy off the field, which Aaron Judge is. He's got to be wearing the Yankee uniform. Now, a guy like Mike Trout, as you know, and Clayton Kershaw, two of my favorite all-time players that are not on the New York Yankees. And they're great. They're fine. But they're not the same kind of element. If Aaron Judge dinged up his reputation by just chasing the money, yeah, that would be a problem. One of the reasons I like Trout and I like Kershaw is because they're staying with their teams. One of the reasons I like them is they're good off the field. Aaron Judge would ding up his reputation, in my mind, by just running for the money. Now, again, if the Yankees only offer him a five-year deal for $300 million and the Dodgers come in and offer him seven for four, listen, I get why you leave. But if it is a close situation and it's strictly a money deal, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dislike the guy or hate the guy, but I won't be a fan anymore. Which is unfortunate. Like I, like I said, Jeter, Rivera, Mattingly, one team, right? Cal Ripken for me, one team. Tony Gwynn, icons, legends, guys that are, they, they, that's what you you know them for is. The ball cap they wear. We don't have to talk about what cap are they going to wear into Cooperstown when they make it to the Hall of Fame. You want to say Aaron Judge is going to wear a Yankee cap when he makes it to the Hall of Fame. And how do you explain to your children, Tom, that Aaron Judge isn't on the Yankees anymore? Yeah. It's also the idea of, and it's not Aaron Judge's fault, but what are you leaving us with? You know, what are you leaving my kids with? Um, our, our Anthony Rizzo signing is a great thing. We all love Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo's great. He's going to be gone in two years, right? Who's the future? Who's the the guy that my kid's going to grow up with and watch from the time he's eight or nine years old until he's 18? Who's the guy that's going to carry him? Maybe he's not on the team yet. Maybe he's he's Anthony Volpe or Peraza or Cabrera. Maybe he's, he's that guy. Maybe. But right now, Aaron Judge is that guy. He's got the opportunity to be that guy. He's got the opportunity 
that when my son's sitting back at 45, 50, 60 years old, he tells his son, oh, no, that was my favorite player. That was my guy. That's who carried the Yankees. And that means something to a fan base, more than any other sport, especially in Major League Baseball. If Hal's coming out and saying that, and you said, like you said, that's the first time you said it. Stunned. Then he should have no problem overpaying for him. And I and, and I don't like you said, I don't blame Aaron Judge. I'm the best player in baseball. Look at the season I had. Let me sign a seven year deal and retire as a Yank. That's all it's gonna take, right, Tom? He's got seven, eight years left if he's healthy. Just sign him, give him the money, let him retire as a Yankee. Everybody's happy. You have a window now of the next few years that they can try to win one with him at his peak. Just do it. Why are we even talking about other teams at this point? He should just come out and say, whatever he wants, I will give it to him. I know that, I know you don't do it that way, but he should just basically say that to him privately. Then just, I'll give you what you want. Let's just do this. Why play games at this point? It's not like the Yankees don't have the money. I'm hearing that the Yankees offered nine years, $350 million. Hmm. That's what I'm hearing. Um, I'm also seeing the the signs. You're if you talk to me and look, you did. Obviously, everybody heard me two weeks ago say I didn't think Judge was returning. All signs are now pointing that he's returning. Hector Gomez reported, who who is a very good reporter, reported that the Yankees offered him uh 337 million. Uh Aaron Judge has been leaving hints around that he might resign. Anthony Rizzo coming back to me absolutely says he's gonna resign. And what every report that I read is that Judge wants more than three hundred million. So three thirty-seven has got to be close, right? I mean, I, everybody asked me, Tom, how much do you think he's going to get? I said, if the Yankees offer him three fifty to three seventy-five, and he turns it down, I don't think you could be mad at the Yankees. So if the Yankees are offering three thirty-seven, it's right in that ballpark of where I think the Yankees and, and Aaron Judge should settle. So I used to be about fifty-fifty. I'm about. 65-35 that he's coming back now. I like what I've seen so far. What can the Giants offer? Years. I mean, years in, in the hometown. What the Yankees are dangling in front of him is, it, this is your team. You could be an icon. You could be the next great Yankee. You could be in Monument Park. Uh, we could put the captain, you know, the C on your chest. I mean, the Yankees are offering a lot of that. And the San Francisco Giants are offering, come home. Right? Yeah. Come home with us. You could be the next in the great line of Willie Mays, uh, Barry Bonds, and now you. And Aaron Judge has a lot of respect for Barry Bonds, even though a lot of us don't. So that they, he has that allure. The Giants are going to have to go. I said it all along. Aaron Judge, it, whoever gives him 10 years is going to go get him. If somebody gives him 10 years. You said seven. I like seven with two player option years or a mutual option year or, or one player, one team option year. You know, you could do those kind of things. You could get creative with this thing. If nine years, 337 is really what the Yankees are offering, nearly impossible for Aaron Judge to say no. The Giants would have to go 10 years. 10 years for a 31-year-old is a lot of investment. And they would have to go more than the Yankees. He's not taking 10 years, you know, 350 or 375. You're going to have to go 10 years, 400 to blow him away, which means that the Dodgers, and this is why I don't really believe the Dodgers are really, truly going to be able to land him. Dodgers would have to go 10 years, 425. 10 years, 430, maybe. I, I mean, now you're getting into that ridiculous. Are you going to pay a 41-year-old Aaron Judge $40-plus million a year? If I'm the Giants, Tom, 10-400, 10, 10, you got it because I'm going to eat up 
in the next five years at least, ticket sales, merch sales, advertising. I'm going to do it. He's going to be the face and hope. But, but Tim, is that really – look, the Yankees are if, – if this Hector Gomez reported nine years, 337, right? It, is that really much more? Ten years, you, you do it, 337, right, divided by nine, that's going to be – $37.5 million a year the Yankees are offering them. Yeah. So by the Giants offering one more year for 40 mil, does $2.5 million a year really make him leave New York? And all the advertising opportunities, all the face of the Yankees, all that comes with it, I don't know. I don't think that that pushes him over. I think the Yankees at 337 is a fair, fair deal. If they are – if they, he's able to, Judge is able to squeeze that up to a 350, 360 range. I just can't see anybody outbidding the Yankees. No, I think I think you're right. I think <clears throat> if it's that close, the only reason that he would go to San Francisco is he's like, hey, I want to retire back in my home. That and yes. at that point, like you said, you, you have to respect that that's what he wants to do. So, which is why I think it's a two-team race. I don't buy into any of this. Chicago Cubs nonsense that was being floated around. I don't buy into the Dodgers just because the Dodgers have the pocketbooks. No, I don't think he's going to do it for money because the difference in money, we're talking about Aaron Judge, is he really leaving the Yankees for 3 or $4 million a year? I just don't think so. Not when you're getting – Yankees are offering right now 37 and a half. I think he could squeeze that to 39. He might even squeeze it to 40. You're going to have to go substantially higher than that. That takes us to the end of our number one here on a Super Sunday night. Time for some NFL football talk in hour two. Tom Barton, Tim Unglesby, Ryan with you. Hang on tight. We're taking you into the next sports week. It's Heat Wave Sports. You're on Fox Sports Radio. Are you ready? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. time everybody's been waiting for tim and tom's nfl week 11 recap here on heatwave sports just a quick reminder again off this weekend for the holiday we'll see and hear everybody december 3rd saturday night december 3rd for heatwave sports tom before we look at the games just real quickly look at tomorrow down in mexico san francisco arizona nfc west matchup I guess you could say it's kind of like uh, positioning at this point, along with Seattle, these three teams all record-wise in the mix, but going different directions, I think. San Francisco, eight-and-a-half-point favorite against technically, Tom, the home team, Arizona, tomorrow night. Look, Murray's a game-time decision, Tim, and I don't think you can speak intelligently about this game unless you know what Murray's status is going to be. But here's my thing. I'm going to try to anyway. You know why? Because I don't think it matters. <laughs> I really don't. Look, if Murray's in there, Tim, I still think that this is a fair line at seven and a half or eight. I still think San Francisco is the much better team. We talked about it a little while ago, and I'll bring it towards the Shanahan thing. The only reason that the Chargers were close last week was because Shanahan kind of outfought himself. I like Eli Mitchell, but should Eli Mitchell be getting 18 carries when the camera keeps panning over to Christian McCaffrey standing on the sidelines? No. Uh, George Kittle was not getting a lot of yards. I expect George Kittle to have a huge game tomorrow. I like all his prop plays, by the way. It's only three and a half catches and 41 yards. I expect him to have a huge game tomorrow. George Kittle in the last two games against Arizona, 90-plus yards in each one of those games. And Arizona has let up 
100 more yards than any other team against the tight end. So I think Shanahan's going to start to utilize George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Ayuk, McCaffrey, Eli Mitchell. Mike Shanahan, or I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan is a guy that he seems like he's got too many toys, right? You know when you hand a, a, a two-year-old like a bunch of toys on Christmas and they don't know what to do and they're going from one to the other? That looks like Shanahan. He's got to settle down and understand, okay, you have a lot of these toys. Here's how to utilize them. And against Arizona, and they're just absolutely terrible defense. I expect him to find the way. I know that you can't really make a bet on this game because of Murray, but how effective is a guy coming back from a hamstring injury going to be that his main attribute is running the ball? I think San Francisco might roll over this team tomorrow. With that being said, I don't like laying that this many points in a neutral site game in a division game. I don't think I'm going to be taking it, Tim, uh, but I will say, to me, it's San Francisco or nothing. Sunday nighter, Kansas City and the Chargers, they generally never disappoint in, as far, in terms of action. You saw, <clears throat> at least for a half, Justin Herbert had a, a full range of offensive weapons, but then Mike Williams goes out at the half. Allen was back. He utilized Palmer a lot better in this game, Tom, and – the last two minutes of this football game were, were fun to watch. You saw Herbert take the Chargers down 10 plays, 64 yards, resulting in a touchdown and a four-point lead with about a buck, a little bit over a buck and a half left. And didn't that cross your mind, Tom, when they scored? Wasn't it like, yeah, you, you left Mahomes a little too much time there. And, and sure enough, Tom, six plays, 75 yards, capped off by Travis Kelsey's third touchdown reception from Mahomes. 30-27, Chiefs 8-2, and two, Chargers 5-5, five and five, and I think essentially this locks up the AFC West for Kansas City. It, it definitely does. It's funny that you said that about you know, Mahomes coming back. I had a huge day, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to throw some fun bet down on Kansas City, and I, I threw a, a fun bet on Kansas City and San Francisco tomorrow. Uh, on a parlay to come back and win. And, you know, I threw 250 bucks on a little parlay, you know, nothing special just to win. Right. Money line parlay. And with two minutes to go or 150 and change. And, you know, uh, Mahomes with the ball, I'm sitting here with Abby and I go, they're offering me a payout of 120. Right. So I bet 250 offer me a, a cash out of 120. I said, what do you think? She looked at me. She said, I can't see he's winning. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, there was no hesitation. I said, yeah, I'm not taking this payout. I could have already bought out of it. So with 150 to go and the team losing, I still could have got a pretty decent return on my money, um, you know, not gotten crushed out of the – and I said, no, nah, it, it's a fun bet. I'm going to go with it. And you just watched him methodically move down the field, and, and you knew it was over at that point. I mean, you just gave him too much time. Uh, look, I think um, I think when you, when you look at what Kansas City's doing – and they alluded to that today. Now they can run the ball. They are becoming that dangerous team. I still am very concerned about this defense long-term, though. You can run on this defense. Now the Chargers can't really run on anybody, but Eckler did have almost 80 yards on the ground. You can run on this defense, and I'm starting to see a trend in the NFL, Tim. I talked about it on my Sports Garden podcast this week. Want to bet. I talked about it on my Believe in Betting podcast this week as well. The trend in the NFL is really good teams you're able to run on. The Eagles have a terrible defense. They run defense coming into this week. They had allowed almost 150 yards over the last three games. You could run all over the Dallas Cowboys. You were able to run on the Chiefs. You can run 
effectively on the Baltimore Ravens, weirdly enough. You can run on a lot of these top teams. The Cincinnati Bengals have a bad running defense. The Minnesota Vikings you could run on. So it's weird that you're looking at these elite teams and you could run on them, but that's the one Achilles heel for me is you are able to run. And the teams that they would be facing that you just don't want to see, the Tennessees of the world, the Ravens of the world, uh, now all of a sudden with Singletary and Allen, the Bills of the world, if you're able to effectively run, you could knock off Casey. We have the luxury, Tom, of, of being able to watch all the games on the package or whatever, whatever, however you get to see it. Some people nowadays, Tom, still, they, they won't pay for the package, so they get the regional game, right? I feel bad for the people that had to watch the Jets and the Patriots today. What a snooze. If you woke I had up early, the Patriots. I had to watch it, Tim. I felt bad. I felt bad for you until the last, what, five seconds of the game. But really, this was a horrendously played football game. And I, I don't want to hear about defensive stalwarts or, or X's and O's, Belichick outsmarting Salah because that, that's not even a thing. This was a bad football game. And if you're a Jets fan, you should be embarrassed in Zach Wilson as your starting quarterback and leading rusher today. But sure enough, it took Tommy, took an 84-yard punt return by Marcus Jones to win this game literally at the buzzer. Patriots 10, Jets 3, Patriots now 6-4. and four. Well, let, let me just tell you about the game a, a little bit since I did watch the whole thing. The Patriots dominated this game. Not on the scoreboard. There was two miss miss kicks. Another opportunity where they didn't kick because the winds were upwards of 25, 27 miles per hour. Um, or else the Patriots would have blown them out even before that. The New York Jets had one red zone possession all day. <laughs> one. Every time I looked up and I was flipping and obviously I had a couple of different games on, the Jets were about midfield. And that's about as far as they went. 103 total yards of offense. That's it. Tim. That's it. Now, I'll give the Jets credit. They did get to the quarterback a lot, but you can see the inability of Mac Jones to be a starting quarterback in this league. I didn't think that it would come so just vividly to me. I always thought that Belichick would be able to sort of mask his problems. He ran into sacks all day. He's just not that guy. And I just said it. And I, I was talking to Abby about this earlier. I said, the Tennessee Titans and New England Patriots are the two teams you don't want to face in the first round of the playoffs. But if you don't have a quarterback, and I don't think either one of these teams have a quarterback. You can't do anything more than an upset here or an upset there. I think the, the the book is closed on Mac Jones, Tim. I'm throwing it away. The Zach Wilson book, it should be burned and thrown away. <laughs> he is absolutely horrible, horrible. How about this stat? I gave this out this morning on my uh, Wanna Bet show. How about this stat? Bill Belichick is now 54-5 and five when he's playing at home against first or second-year quarterbacks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. That's, that's a pretty amazing statistic. Zach Wilson, 9 for 22, 77 yards. That's not the first time this year he's been under 100 yards passing in a game. They couldn't run the ball. Carter Robinson between them, Tom, 30 yards rushing. Um, and, yeah, I'll give credit on the defensive side. New England, this defense has been good this year. It has. And by the way, Tim, and by the way, Tim, the one play Zach Wilson got about forty yards on one pass. It was funny because even the announcer was was laughing about it. He it was so poorly underthrown. Again, there was heavy winds. It was so poorly underthrown. That's the only reason that the cornerback got beat. And the announcer said, 
Well, sometimes uh, it helps to be uh, underthrown, right? Because it was underthrown about five or seven yards. The guy had to come racing back for it and make a play. Or else you could have taken off those 30 yards. Almost almost 40 yards, actually. Yeah. Where, where are you really? If you're a Jets fan, let's, I mean, I think you fall into this Las Vegas professional sports team basis here. That where are you? What are you hanging your hat on? You beat Buffalo last week with Josh Allen, who continues to play poorly. Or how, how about that win against Miami early in the year, right? Is that where you're? Is that where you're hanging your head? Where you scored all those points in the fourth quarter? They haven't beaten anybody this year. They don't care, Tim. They love it. The Jets. You don't understand. The Jets were winning. Were winning this division about what twelve hours ago. That was it, right? I mean, they, are you kidding me? The Jets were. They already beat Buffalo. They they proved it. They proved to everybody. How dare you doubt the New York Jets? That was the conversation. Uh, while I'm writing articles in New York saying, guys, the bottom's going to fall out for the Jets here, you know, and the Giants. Oh, by the way, I'm writing articles in New York telling you that the bottom's going to fall out. The Jets are at six wins. They they have some nice things to hang on your hat on. Here you go. They have a good defense, Tim. They had a running game before Hall got injured. They just don't have a quarterback. And now all eyes are going to be on that quarterback. It doesn't get much easier for the Jets. Look, next week they get a home date against Chicago. They'll be favored there, right? Then you go at Minnesota, at Buffalo, to suddenly red-hot Detroit, then Jacksonville, which is in a layup, and at Seattle, at Miami. You're not winning another road game. Not winning at Seattle, Miami, Minnesota, or Buffalo, right? Uh, So Chicago, Detroit, Jacksonville, you have an opportunity. You have six wins today. You have about three games to maybe get to nine wins. I think maybe you win two and an eight win season by New York Jets fans will be a great success. Just put Flacco back in there, man. Come on. It's going to be, it's going to be white, right? It's going to be white. I see, you know, the Jets are in the the precarious position where they're not going to be bad enough to have to make a a forced decision to go draft a rookie quarterback, but they're not going to be, you know, good enough to kind of go out there and constitute getting rid of Wilson for a guy like white or, or Flacco or Bencham. They're just going to have to ride with Wilson all the way. And, and uh, Salah as well, I guess. Right. So I think Salah is fine. Look, when he was hired, I thought he would be fine. And that's what he is. He's fun. Salah's never winning a Super Bowl, right? I don't even know if he wins a playoff game. But you got to give him credit for what he's done. He's winning. He's taking a roster that is starting to come together, and he's winning the games I guess he's supposed to win. Um, he reminds me of the typical Jeff Fisher, you know, 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight type of coach. I give no credit, Tom, to Robert Sala. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that, too. Eagles look poor Monday night in lost uh, Washington. And they looked bad again today, Tom, down 13-3. They were able to come back, though. Hurts, 11 plays, 75 yards. Gets the game-winning touchdown with a minute and 20 to go. They survive and win at Indianapolis, 17-16, now 9-1. and This is the NFL, Tom, you're right. You know, teams streak a lot of different ways. It's games like this where... They pull them out. I don't know. Does that does that give them a pass? I, I wouldn't say it's so, but uh, they did what they had to do in the fourth quarter, and they got the win. Yeah, I had uh, 
Lawrence Owen on from, from Believe in the Colts uh, this morning with me, and we talked about it. We both thought the Colts were going to play really close, really close game. I didn't really believe they had enough to win. He thought that they would win a close game. I, I, that's just the non-belief in Philly as much as it is a belief in the Colts. Philadelphia's run defense, I mentioned it a little while ago, has just been absolutely brutalized over the last month. They can't stop anybody. And you know what they did? They picked up Linvel Joseph this week and put him right in the lineup. They picked up Indomitian and Sue, put him right in the lineup. They know where their deficiencies lie, and you can run on this team. But I think the bigger question here is that early in the season, Miles Sanders was looking like a guy that really could carry the ball and, and be that guy. They can't run either. So they had a problem stopping the run. We'll go out there and get some veteran inside big men, and maybe we can get one of these two to hit the fountain of youth. But if Miles Sanders can't run the ball, this is going to be a problem. Plus, it was a sloppy game. Look, A.J. Brown fumbled it all over the field. Uh, it was a weird game that was played. I look at Philly and I go, I, I believed in their team total win over before the year. I gave it to every single person that's listening uh, because I knew how weak their schedule was. But let's not joke that they have a product of a weak schedule. Speaking of schedules, the Indianapolis Colts have one of the more brutal schedules coming up. I thought if they could win today, they could save their season. Well, their season's done to me. After the Steelers, they go at Cowboys, at Vikings, Chargers, at Giants, and then the Texans. To me, they got one win left on their schedule, maybe two. Uh, their season is over. Jeff Saturday has done a nice job there, but let's not kind of overrate who the Indianapolis Colts are. Buffalo, 31-23 win at home, that being Detroit, in this Week 11 matchup. So the Bills now 7-3. and three. They'll stay in Detroit, Tommy, as they have that Thanksgiving game, day game coming up. And the, the big question here for me is Josh Allen, again, better this week, right? He got a red zone touchdown, Tommy. He didn't throw an interception. But he still does not look where he was four weeks ago. I'm, we're going on a month slump here for Josh Allen what's what's going on here? Is it all mental at this point? And can he get this corrected? Because uh, you cannot survive games like they've been doing or, or even losing games to, to set teams that are below them. You know, when you're injured, I, and I've spoken to so many athletes about this, it's more of the headspace than it is the injury itself. Josh Allen is or was injured, right? Josh Allen is still feeling the effects of that. It doesn't look like it when he's whipping the ball downfield and throwing really well. But it's in his head. I mean, we went into a position here where Stefan Diggs was angry on the sideline because he just wasn't targeted. He literally wasn't targeted. Well, that's a Josh Allen thing as much as it is a Sean McDermott thing, right? So he wound up saving the the you know his his day, and fantasy guys liked it everywhere when he scored the touchdown and whatnot. But you look at Josh Allen, and you go, you and Stefan Diggs have been hooking up all the time. You're doubting yourself. He's doubting his throws. He was a guy that had a bullet cannon for an arm that could do anything on the field and had the utmost confidence. And that's really where his success came from, Tim. He was that gunslinger that didn't mind trying to fit it in, didn't mind trying to squeeze it here. Ah, my arm's better than that guy. And it's worked really well for him. But now you're starting to see him double clutch. If you watch the game closely, you can see him questioning himself. You can see him hesitating a second. He's got to get out of his own head, Tim. This is his season to not only win the MVP, well, that might be gone, but it's to win the Super Bowl. If he doesn't correct it, that might be gone as well. But to me, the bigger problem with the Bills is their defense. They've got to get healthy. 
This is a number one defense in the league when they're healthy. They were missing four starters again today. They took Tredavious White off of the injured reserve list three weeks ago, and he still hasn't started. Greg Rousseau was out today. They are banged up all over the place. There's a lot of questions if. And if the Buffalo Bills are 100% healthy, they are the best team in the league. But right now, it's clear this team is not healthy. And now playing on a Thursday, they're playing two games in five days. I, I, I just don't see them getting healthy this week either. The Lions could be in an interesting position. Panthers, Ravens, another snooze fest, Tommy, if, you, if you're watching. You were watching one, I was watching the other. The Ravens <laughs> get it done in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson touchdown, one yard out. 13-3, they win it. 7-3 and three now is Baltimore. Uh, I will say, in watching this game, as much as I was frustrated with the offense, defense looked really, really good. Uh, the defense looked very, very – and – you ask why it looks so much better. Look, it's not just one thing. It's not just Roquan Smith, but I think that he allows people to open up a little bit more. I think the the confidence of having somebody like Roquan Smith walk onto the field, Tim, it gives your corners the ability to take chances a little bit more. I get it. It was against Baker Mayfield, who should not be a starting quarterback in the league, and it's against the Panthers, who just don't have weapons. I understand that. But what you watched today was Humphrey taking chances, taking shots, guys – kind of flying around the field like we haven't seen from the Ravens in a while. And I think that there is that infusion of, hey, wait a minute, we have a guy backing us up. We have that extra gear. We have that extra player. And a lot of that is a confidence thing as well. I think that the Ravens can take off here at any time. The problem is, Tim, I feel like I'm still waiting, right? I'm still Mm -hmm. waiting for the Ravens to put it all together. I've been waiting since the preseason. Coming out of the gates, you beat up the Jets, lost to the Dolphins. All right, you win against the Patriots. Oh, lost to the Bills. All right, you beat the Bengals. Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, lost to the Giants. All right, then you beat the Browns, Bucks, Saints, Panthers. You start to feel good, but, Tim, it's four wins in a row. Are you impressed with the Browns win, three-point win? No. Impressed with the Bucks five-point win? No. How about against the Saints with no quarterback and the Panthers with no quarterback? No. Here's the thing. I don't know if they get tested here. The Jaguars, I actually think the Jaguars will be a good game, but they'll be favorites in that game, favorites against the Broncos at home, favorites against the Steelers. They'll be favored against the Browns, even with Deshaun Watson, favorite against the Falcons, favorite against the Steelers, and then against a Bengals team that might not care in the last week, and you might not care. So my one concern with the Ravens' big picture here, and they're going to they're gonna crush half of these teams, I mean most of these teams. They, they, may, they may not lose another game, but I think they lose maybe one or two games from here on out. My problem is they're going to go into the playoffs and all of a sudden they're going to get a rude awakening. Oh, wait a minute. We're going to have to face a real team here, a real team at this point. I don't know if they're going to be battle tested. Yeah, the schedule usually, you know, it worked. It might work against them, like you said, because the second half of the schedule was so weak. You just read through the the lineup there. And granted, barring some type of just catastrophe, you're right, Tom. That's a 12-win team going in the playoffs with a bye. And then who do you get? Derrick Henry, Patrick Mahomes, or Josh Allen at some point, right? Yeah, that's assuming what you're going to have to look at. Um, the, the sad thing is, right, we, we've talked about this all year, was just the defense has stepped up in the last weeks, but the caliber of competition has come down because the Dolphin game was a win, the Buffalo game was a win, and the Giant game was a win. They could be undefeated right now, Tom. That That's the sad part about it. And I don't think 
yeah, I don't know what we're going to get. I really don't know what we're going to get. I assume they make they win the division. I assume they make the playoffs. I assume they get a first-round bye. And then you're right. Reality might hit in the second-round game because where are they being battle-tested at? They're going to just kind of steamroll through the second half. Is it fun to see them rack up the wins and the stats? Of course. But if you're looking at it long-term, are they going to be ready for the playoffs? And I, I don't know, Tom. Could it work the other way that – uh, maybe they'll come in healthier and rested more than some of these teams that have to fight it out for divisions like Buffalo right now. Kansas City is obviously going to be in a Baltimore situation, I think. So we'll see. Uh, I wasn't happy with the offense. I thought the offense looked good against the Saints two weeks ago. I thought it looked decent against Tampa. I didn't like it against the Browns, and I definitely didn't like it today. So th- there's work to be done, Tom. There's definitely work to be done. I I, I think I would worry more. If they run through the rest of the schedule th- scoring 30 points again, I definitely would worry. But maybe sometimes these close, ugly ones uh, get them back on track, set them back in their mode. I don't know. Tim, how much does it – can we lean on the fact um, that there's no Gus Edwards and there's no J.K. Dobbins and there's a good possibility both of them will be back for the stretch run? I think it plays into their favor, obviously. When they can run the ball – and it doesn't matter who was, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake's been been pretty solid last since he's, he's been, been solid. Like, but can we can we say that's the reason why they struggled today offensively? No, I, I want to say today was more of it wasn't even Lamar. It was the line just looked bad for whatever reason. That had been a strong point through this, uh, you know, the first nine games of the year is the line was solid. But like I told you jokingly in a text when did luke keekley and sam mills rejoin the panthers because that's what the, these guys are running through the line like they're, they're uh, pro bowl caliber players and that's not carolina stalworth so i want to say it was a line today i thought lamar was lamar was okay he wasn't lamar but he was okay um if mark andrews didn't come back tom I, they probably would have lost this game and, and he didn't score but the presence he had on the field in his six catches allowed them to be uh, move move the chains and, and keep the ball out of Carolina's hands, which we go back to Baker just being a complete catastrophe. But I don't, you know, no, I don't say Drake's the reason. I say it was the line today and maybe a couple ill-advised third down bad passes Lamar made. But look, I saw the, an atrocious pass in the back of the end zone to likely that should have been a easy touchdown and Lamar just missed him. Yeah. And you know, I, I looked at Lamar and I, I said, okay, I'm going to go flip back the next possession. I flipped back two in a row airmailed. And I said, is this the Lamar that I called a running back for so many years? Cause it looked <laughs> like he was back. Yeah. They, they, you know what I've noticed too? They're, they're the problem in the line in the last three games, they've had like four delay game penalties. So I, there's something wrong in the center. Who's a rookie to, uh, adjusting to to line calls that Lamar makes. And I know I'm probably getting a little too technical in this if you're not watching the games, but that that's an issue for me. But but when they're when they're on, Tom, you know, you got Zeitler who they got from the Giants who's solid and Morgus uh Morgan Moses, the Colorado State alum. When they're solid, they open those holes up and we've seen this team be able to run the ball. And I think if those guys are coming back, hey man, more the merrier. It doesn't matter who the guy is there. That's the thing. They're almost the Kansas City approach. Give it to somebody, open that line, let them move that ball, and then Lamar can create from that point. Yeah, I think that it's a good bet to think that 
Baltimore could take off here. I just don't know how much of a product that we're going to be sitting back and going, ooh, that, that's not a real that's not a real record for them. You know, it's one of those mm-hmm. dangerous spots. Uh, a twelve and what twelve or twelve thirteen win team get beat in the first playoff game, right? Right, Tom. One of those situations. Yeah, and against one of the teams that we just talked about, you know, them against New England worries me in in round one. Them against Tennessee worries me in round one. Mm-hmm. Well, something you don't have to worry about is seeing the Rams back in the Super Bowl, three and seven. Now they drop a twenty seven twenty game at the Saints. Really, what is there to say, Tom? The offense has just been atrocious all year long. That's just that's just what it is. Can we just say that McVay is not the boy genius? He, he seemingly can't fix this thing? I'm shocked. I'm not shocked because I, I've never really bought into the McVay hype, but I'm shocked about how bad this team got, how quickly. And don't tell me it's because Cooper Cup is out because when Cooper Cup was in, still didn't seem to matter, right? I mean, this was this has been a bad, bad, bad offense all year long. They were just beaten by a backup quarterback. Um, you, you could give me the excuse that they don't have weapons. They do have weapons. They're just not being utilized or or they're performing. Allen Robinson is a weapon. He just looks like he's, he looks lost out there, right? I mean, he, but he's a weapon. Don't tell me he's not. This is a poor, poor, poor coaching job all the way along the lines. And you know what? It's a poor coaching job. I know a lot of guys go, well, you know what? They're, they're They don't have their focus and they're not. Well, that's coaching guys, right? Well, you know, they don't want to be there. Well, that's coaching, guys, right? Well, it's a Super Bowl letdown. Well, that's coaching. I blame this whole thing 100% on coaching. We go back to the NFL preview show we did live on the strip, and you said it wouldn't surprise me the Rams don't even make the playoffs. And and our our good friend, former producer of the show, Armando Vasquez, literally flipped out. He couldn't believe what you were saying, but – here we are, Tom. Most talented roster in the NFL was one of the quotes that was said that night. And I just didn't see it. You can't replace four offensive linemen, guys that are potentially going to the Hall of Fame. Tell me how great they are for year after year. Oh, this guy's amazing. You lose them, you lose the offensive line, and then go, oh, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> right? I mean, you can't do that, Tim. I, I love when people say that all, you know, well, you know, this guy's the greatest things in sliced bread. And then he's gone and you're like, no, we're going to be fine. It's got to be one way or the other. That is the big problem with this offense. The offensive line is just pathetic. And Matthew Stafford can't stay on the field. Oh, by the way, he had these problems in Detroit. About the Saints, right? So four and seven. So the three games under 500, but only a game and a half out of the division behind Tampa. Yeah, they James. have a top eight offense with Andy Dalton. Yeah, that's, and that was my thing. You have Jameis Winston coming out saying he's disappointed he's not playing. You're not going to play. Andy Dalton had three more touchdowns. You're not playing, Jameis. And if you look at the schedule, Tom, three more division games. The, the division can be had here for New Orleans. That, that's the thing. They can win this still. They can win this. And not only was it without Jameis, they've done this. Alvin Kamara missed a good portion of time. Jarvis Landry came back today, but he missed some time. Michael Thomas, their number one receiver, has been out. Olave has missed some time. Uh, Taysom Hill is taking snaps at quarterback because they don't really even have a tight end. Now Juwan uh, Johnson looks good. But they've they, their entire offensive missed time, been banged up, not performing well. Yet somehow they got a top eight offense. And like you said, they're in a division race. 
Let's move on to a team in that division. Atlanta squeezes out a 27-24 win over your Bears, Tommy. Uh, Bears, man, they play another close game that they, they uh, just it gets away from at the end. I know it's got to be tough to watch it, Tom. I, I know you're happy with what you're seeing offensively, though. Look, I'm taking it as it is. I like to be entertained. Justin Fields is the most entertaining player in the sport right now. He really is. It's a it's a fun watch. Um, but just to give a little context of this, this is not an excuse. I'm not making excuses for the Bears. But to give context, the Bears scored 17 points at the half and then pretty much nothing after that. Justin Fields was noticeably limping around. Justin Fields also came out with a non-throwing shoulder injury. He was gutting it out out there. The, the, the play on the last play of the game where he threw an interception, the announcer was saying, as the play was going on, well, they're in zone, just run it, just run it, because they were in zone. He just didn't even feel comfortable running the ball at that point. Um, Fields has cashed every ticket for the last four weeks on rushing props. The Bears went over their team total again. So, I mean, I'm happy. That was one of my plays today. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm cashing tickets. But – you watched it noticeably hit a wall. I think the Bears were on pace to score. I know they were on pace to score 35, but they also missed a field goal, hit the post. I think they were scored 40-plus had he not gotten hurt today. So mm-hmm. I'm going to chalk a lot of this loss up to the Bears just you know needing Justin Fields, and he's 100% of their offense right now. And not knowing the extent of his injuries, if he's banged up, do you just sit him next week? Yeah, I, I, I that's a hard – especially against a really tough Jets team, you know, in a what is supposed to be a really cold environment. It's a hard thing to send your guy out there. Well, what we knew about Justin Fields was this. After week five, there are people looking at Justin Fields and saying, we don't know if we're going to go try to draft C.J. Stroud, right? That I mean, that was the reality. And basically everybody to a man on uh, Chicago Bears media, or Twitter, every fan, every – Hey, just find out if he's the guy moving forward. We found that out, right? I mean, he's the guy, right? That's it. Justin Fields, he's he's the quarterback moving forward. We found it out, so why risk him at all? Washington stays in the wild card race, Tom. 23-10 win at Houston. What can you say? You know, everybody wanted to jump off the Washington train, fire Rivera at the beginning of the year. I was there. Yeah, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. And, again, they played a tough schedule as well to start the year. And that was a huge win Monday night. I was looking for a letdown. It it didn't happen in this game. They were solid defensively. Uh, Heineke appears that he's going to keep that. You know, I wouldn't go back to Wentz at this point. And uh, I guess you could look at it the other way, too, though. They, they played the Texans, though, Tom. So take it for what it is. It's a game they should have won, and they did. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Well, what do you? At this point, I'm not getting excited about Washington, but I like the story, right? I like Taylor Heineke. I like Brian Robinson getting shot and coming back and playing. I like mm-hmm. this story. I like this. I've been so wrong about Washington, in a good way, you know. I like this story, but they've beaten the Bears before Justin Fields became Superman, right? They beat the Green Bay Packers, who Aaron Rodgers should have retired last year. It's obvious this guy. Best days are way behind him. Indianapolis, where Sam Ellinger was kind of the guy. A nice, uh, you know, a, minute, a nice game against Minnesota, but came away with a loss. They beat Philly and Houston, divisional rival and Houston. I'm not getting too excited, but here's the thing, though, Tim. They're six and five, 
Atlanta next, they're the favorites. That's seven yeah. wins. They have two against the Giants. Figure they split them, right? That's an eight-win team. Not going to beat San Francisco. Can they beat Dallas or Cleveland to get nine wins? Maybe 10? Maybe. I maybe. think Washington has a legit shot at the playoffs here. Yeah. But what do they do in the playoffs? So that, that's what it comes down to. Nothing, right? You know, I think it's tough to answer that question until we see what kind of impact Chase Young can be when he comes back. He was supposed to be back today. He's delayed again. He's the type of impact defensive player that can really remake this very good defense already, right? Um, this is a team that hasn't let up more than 21 points uh, since Dallas on October 2nd, where they only let up 25. Their defense is spectacular right now. And if you go throw Chase Young in there, all of a sudden, Tim, you have a team that, again, I've said it before, in a weak NFC, nobody wants to play them. I'll say this about Washington. They're playing with house money. Let's put it that way. You you get a win at Indianapolis. McLaurin goes back to uh, his home hometown where he was a high school star. Has a you know big game there. They get that win. Close loss against Minnesota, which again playing with house money. They should have lost that game. That was the way it was made out to be, and they were in it all the way until the end. Then you get the, the huge win over Philadelphia on Monday night, right, Tom? Division rival. You give them their first loss. Then you get fined for drinking on the plane. Like, you know, like their, <laughs> their, their mindset is they're relaxed. They're having fun. They go out today and beat down Houston. House money, Tom. Tom Barn Sports, we're playing with house money. Washington's playing with house money in the NFL right now, and that's another reason to make them dangerous. Yeah, it really is. And, and like I said, they are – is anybody going to get upset if Taylor Heineke you know, and Ron Rivera don't win playoff games? No. They're going to be stunned that you got there. So they're in a position where just be competitive. Just sort of get there. Just, just kind of kind, – let us have something to play for the last week of the season. You've already done your job. I'll tell you the truth. Obviously, it's not how you get there. But if you told me before the year Washington was going to have six wins total – I would have said, eh, probably save Rivera's job. You know they're going to get eight or nine wins here, eight at the least. That saves his job. He's coming back next year. Does he have a new quarterback? I would think so. Taylor Heineke's played really well. They already named him the starter for the rest of the year, which leaves Carson Wentz' future in doubt. Heck, they might have a new owner next year. <laughs> yeah, uh, which actually throws a monkey wrench into all these things, right? Right. Uh, Bengals, back to the AFC. Bengals, 37-30 win at Pittsburgh. Really a tale of two halves here, Tom, right? 20, 20, 2017 lead for the Steelers in the, at, at the half. They were playing solid. It looked like the team we saw last week. Then they just offensively couldn't do anything in the second half. In, in fact, that last touchdown was, was garbage time. And uh, the defense then on the field too long. They end up getting just riddled by Burrow in the fourth quarter. So a tough loss here for Pittsburgh. If you, if you had them on on the on the on the the betting side of it, and really a win that I think if you look deep down into it, Cincinnati, the score is more indicative of not exactly what happened here. No, Pittsburgh played well, and I think that we're starting to see the Pittsburgh team that we assumed we would get. Ninety nine yards last week from Najee Harris, ninety yards, two touchdowns this week. Saw Claypool start to get a little involved. Frymuth start to getting a little involved. Um, Pickett had his problems today. But when you look at the Bengals and 
you start to see last year, this is kind of when they started to take off. Next week, Jamar Chase is coming on board. You look at the Bengals, a team that I thought was going to have a down year. I made a lot of money betting against them in week one. Uh, and, and and even in week two, I took them against Dallas. Uh, or took Dallas against them, I should say. I look at their schedule and I go, yeah, everyone's expecting the takeoff here, Tim. At Titans, who that's a tough game. Chiefs, tough game. Browns, oh, by the way, Deshaun will be back. Bucks in Tampa against Tom Brady, tough game. Patriots, you know, Christmas Eve against Belichick, tough game. Bills, Ravens, they have the most brutal schedule from here on out. That I, I could I could make an argument that every one of these teams, with the exception of the Browns, every other team here has a legitimate shot at the Super Bowl. We're talking Bills, Ravens, Pats, Chiefs, Bucks, Titans. Bucks and Titans are on the road. Pates and Pats are on the road. They're they're as likely to go on a run here, Tim, and win ten games as they are winning one more game for the rest of the year. I think their schedule is just an abomination from here on out. I think the Vikings forgot a game. They were supposed to play a game today, Tom. Obviously, the the letdown effect did happen here. We said Washington didn't suffer, but Minnesota did. They beat Buffalo last week, and then today just steamrolled by Dallas. 40-3, to they lose at home. This was 37-3. Dallas backups in in the fourth quarter. Uh, really, what, not much you can say up to other than then uh, – once it got out of hand, you know, Tom, it, this it was going to be what it was going to be. Nick Mullins, a lot of playing time for Minnesota as well, quarterback. So Dallas, Tony Pollard, Zeke, four touchdowns between the two of them. They get a win. Minnesota, it's, it's one of those games. But we knew Minnesota were frauds anyway, right? The Vikings have yeah. a negative two-point differential this season. That is the lowest for any team to start eight and two or better, uh, you know, since you know basically the NFL began. They don't get turnovers. They've been a fraud. They've been a product of their schedule. They are a playoff team. But over the last two weeks, I've started to hear Super Bowl attached to the Vikings name, and it's a laughable concept. Every one of their games in their seven-game winning streak, Tim, were decided by eight points or less. Every one of them. Five of those seven games, they were down with five minutes to go. I was not buying into this Vikings team as being a real team at all. And now all of a sudden, you look at the Cowboys and you go, can they be that team? I'm looking at the Cowboys and saying, if Pollard's playing like this, 189 yards today, if Zeke can come back healthy, if Prescott can tap into the next level, their defense is good. Man, Cowboys might be one of the better teams in a very weak NFC. Lamb, Gallup, Brown, Schultz. Weapons, they have the weapons, Tom. Yeah, exactly. And then you look on the defensive side of things, um, and it's just littered with all pros. Let's look at week 12, Tommy. We'll start with the Thanksgiving Day games you talked about at the beginning of the show. First game, kickoff schedule for 9.30 in the morning Pacific time. Buffalo staying in Detroit to play this one. They're not going home. They're going to stay in Detroit. Through Thursday, short rest for both these teams. Lions win today, Tom. Buffalo, nine-point favorite Thanksgiving morning. Everybody's going to be on Buffalo. Everyone's going to jump on them. I think it's a dangerous spot for the Bills. They are banged up. They're playing in a spot here, Tim, where, you know, they are obviously don't have the, the travel, but 
They got less practice over the last couple of days because of the snow situation. Now they take on a Lions team that are at home. They're playing well. The Lions all of a sudden, you know, they look like the team that we saw early on playing well. 30-plus points two weeks in a row against a bad Bears defense, but a good Giants defense coming on home. Everything depends to me. Can I lay the nine with the Bills? Yeah, if their defense gets healthy, I can, but I don't know if they're going to be healthy. Afternoon matchup, one thirty Pacific time, NFC East. Both teams 7-3. and three. New York, the Giants at Dallas. Dallas beat the Giants on the road back in September 23-16. Tom, the Cowboys looks like eight and a half point favorite in this one. Well, the the Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, the Cowboys have now owned them. They've won three in a row, uh, but this team has won 10 of the last 11. The thing is, is that most of the games are close. 23-16, uh, 19-23, uh, the last time they were in, in the last loss that they were in New York. Most of the games are generally close over the last couple of Look, I think that the Giants were a fraud. I think they were a fraud team. They have still basically scored 20 points a game. They're coming in allowing 19, but scoring only 20. I think that Dallas rolls here. I just hate coming up. If Dallas would have won this game today, you know, 27-24, I would have been all over Dallas. But the fact that they just put up 40, I hate teams that come off of a 40-point blowout, and then all of a sudden everyone's going to bet the Cowboys in this one. I don't like laying the eight, but I think they certainly get the win. And the nightcap, 520 Pacific. Minnesota will stay home and hopefully make it to the game on Thursday mentally. Bill Belichick and the Patriots come to town. Patriots winners of three in a row, a game behind the Dolphins and the Bills in the AFC East. Minnesota, look, we've already said they're going to win the North. They have a four-game lead. I don't see that dissipating, but – they're only a field goal favorite at home, Tom. Yeah, I kind of like the Patriots here. Um, I know that the Patriots have Mac Jones problems. I get that. But you look at what the Vikings have done, and I just want points. They beat the Bills by three. They beat the Commanders by three. Beat the Cardinals by a touchdown. Dolphins by a touchdown. Bears by a touchdown. Saints by three. Lions by four. Right? I mean, you're talking about just about every win is one possession. If you give me one possession, I'll take the points. Let's look at some games of note for Sunday. Oh, Tim, before before we go looking looking ahead, one game we didn't get to talk about. Can we go back and just talk about the demise of Aaron Rodgers here? Can oh, we yeah, talk about the fact that, that, that the Green Bay Packers really have to start about thinking about seeing what they have in Jordan Love. I mean, I'm not being the anti-Aaron Rodgers guy. I mean, of course I always am, but I think it's painfully obvious. The Green Bay Packers season is over. Why continue to run out your uh, nearly 40-year-old quarterback who's clearly disgruntled behind an offensive line that can't block for him? And if he is your franchise guy, why not tell him rest up, get ready? When do they do that, Tim? Do they do it with two games left? What do you do it now and you really do give Jordan Love a real shot to kind of show you, okay, I can be here. Because what's going to happen is that they're eventually going to give him a shot. It either happens now or it happens in week 16 or 17. So when do you have that uncomfortable conversation with Aaron Rodgers to say, hey, we got to see what we have in this kid? Yeah, I would do it now. You still have, what, six games left? Dude, that's a fair amount of time to know 
if that guy is capable of being your future. Two games, I don't think that's enough time, Tom. I think they have a Sunday night game this week, okay, against the Eagles. So I don't think they do it in a, you know, a Sunday night game against a really good defense on the road. That's a bad spot to put Jordan Love in. But after that, you get Chicago and then the bye week. So maybe you give Aaron Rodgers the Chicago game. Coming back from the bye week, why not? Why not give him that four-game slate, three of them at home, give him that opportunity? I just look at this and I go, how is that conversation going to go with the me, 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 me persona of Aaron Rodgers? Aaron, you got to sit down for the better of the team. Aaron, get healthy for the better of the team. We got to see what we have in Jordan Love. How do you think that conversation is going to go over with Aaron Rodgers? Probably go over the same way it went over Brett Favre, Tom. Not well. <laughs> think Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Green Bay Packers next year, Tim? No. no. I don't think he should be playing for anybody next year. So, I don't think so either. But I think his ego is going to be too much and he's going to, to want to. All right, Tommy, quick thoughts on some of these games. Sunday, Houston, Miami, Dolphins home, 11 and a half. I love the Dolphins. Absolutely love them here. I hate laying double digits. I think that this is Miami coming out of a bye week, starting to see the end goal here. They're going to use this game as one of those litmus tests. I think they cruise. Baltimore at Jacksonville. Ravens four in a row now. Four. Ravens four on the road. Kind of like the Jags here. I I mean, I always seem to favor the Jags, but getting four points at home off a bye, I believe in the coach. I believe in the running game, and I didn't like what I saw from the Ravens. I also watched the Ravens' number one offensive lineman leave the field. That's not a good sign. Is is it me being fanboy to say that I like the Ravens in this game, even though it's on the road? I think everyone's going to take the Ravens here, and I, I think that the line is a little shy. I think we'll, uh, if you like the Jags, you might be able to get this at five, five and a half by the time all is said and done. Most logical thinkers are going to take the Ravens. I just like the Jags at home and off a of bye week. The line pushes me off because I, when I looked at it before the lines came out, I was thinking six. So six is the number that I said to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's come down or it opened low, and and that kind of backs me off of it. But we'll we'll see. Tom Brady off a of bye week, Tommy, at Cleveland against, yes, that guy. He's, I believe he's starting next week. Is that correct? No, no. He's got one more week. One more. Okay. He so comes back you... against Houston, Tim. How ridiculous. Oh, so he can get that win, right? Okay. Yeah. He comes back against Houston in Houston against the women that he did that to, having to watch that on their TV. Yeah. That, well, okay. yeah, we, we talked about that, how pitiful Cleveland is, but uh, – Tom Brady, three on the road at Cleveland. I think that the Bucs have, have fixed a lot. I think that they, this is a team that needed the bye week more than anybody else. I think the Bucs start their stretch here where they really start to establish themselves and we start going, maybe the Bucs are that Super Bowl team. Bears-Jets, this one in Jersey. Jets, four. I love the Bears if Justin Fields is healthy, but he was carted out of the locker room. Doesn't look like he's going to be healthy. you got to go with the Jets. Cincinnati at Tennessee. Bengals point and a half favorite on the road. I like Tennessee in this spot at home. Best game on the board. I agree with you. I think that Tennessee is that team that you give them extra rest. Vrabel is 5-0 and off of bye weeks. It's not quite a bye week, Tim, but he did get extra rest. Everyone's high on the Bengals right now. I'm only laying a point at home. Or Yeah, I'll take it. Let's bring back the old toilet bowl game of the week. This one fills the toilet up. Denver, Carolina. 
Panthers at home. Denver, a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Over-unders, 35. How ridiculous is that? I, I'm going to take the Broncos. I mean, I think that eventually they got to get a win here over a team that they should be. Falcons, Washington. We talked a little bit about this. Washington is a field goal favorite at home. Yeah, I like Washington. I kind of like that under. Under 44 makes a lot of sense as well. Like I said, Washington hasn't allowed more than 21 points uh, since, I mean, September, really. Raiders at Seattle. Old AFC West matchup. Seattle, Geno Smith off a bye. Three and a half point favorite. I love the Hawks here. I wish it was three, but I love the Hawks here. I think the Raiders season is done. It's been done for a while. Seattle is cruising off a bye week. That's a well-coached team. Chargers at Cardinals. The Cardinals will be coming back from Mexico after tomorrow night. They are a three-point dog welcoming Justin Herbert to town. Justin Herbert gets a nice win here. I think they're going to throw all day. I like the fact that uh, Keenan Allen started to look really healthy. I think the Chargers have an established win here. I, I don't care what the spread is. I'm seeing three, three and a half. doesn't matter to me. Saints Niners. Niners also in the, the travel boat, but they'll be home Eight and a half. Saints are a different team away from home. They're one and three away. Niners are three and one at home. I'll take the Niners. I don't like laying these eights with the Niners, but I'll take them. Who would have thought at the beginning of the year this line would be a 14-point spread? Rams, Chiefs at Arrowhead. Obviously, the Chiefs, the 14-point favorite. Yeah, Chiefs are going to squash them. I don't know by 14. 14 is just a huge number. Got to worry about Stafford. I don't know. They were playing a third-string quarterback today. With the Rams, so the 14 might be a bargain if Stafford doesn't play. Packers-Eagles Sunday night, Eagles six and a half. Got to go Philly here. I know everybody's down on Philly, and I think they were getting a little bit of a, a good line because people still believe in Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Well, he's not. I think Philly can absolutely feast, especially with all the new additions that they got in that defense. And the Monday nighter, this should be an ugly one. 39 and a half, the total Steelers at the Colts. Indianapolis, field goal favorite, home. I got to take the Steelers with the points. I always take Tomlin with the points. I know they're 1-4 and four away, and the Colts have kind of found some success, but uh, this is a team that will get rattled. Matt Ryan gets rattled uh, at this age, and Jonathan Taylor, look, he's running better, but to run against the Steelers is another thing. I'll take the Steelers with the points. want to wish all the listeners a happy Turkey Day. We'll be back in two weeks' time, December 3rd, for your – Normal weekend of heat wave sports, but while you're at it, right, Tom? Let's, let's jump on the Tom Barton sports train. That's that's where we need to go. Games, there's a game tomorrow, Thursday, college basketball. You might even have an NBA play. I don't know. Hockey, you do it all. You're on fire right now. Let, let's sign up and let's make some money. Yeah, absolutely, guys. 13-3 and three this month in the NFL on my free plays out there. I'm sitting here at 6-0. Oh. I laugh because I'm so ridiculously on fire. You guys could go check it out. Go go research me on all the betting sites that are out there monitoring. Yeah, Capper Tech, McCapper's Monitor. Go see what I'm doing. Crushing it right now for less than 200 bucks, $199 for the next 30 days. You get every single play I select, and if you Tell me right now that you sign up tonight because of this show. I'm going to give you an extra week of service. So you're going to get almost into January, January 1st. You're going to get every play, every sport, every level, nothing else at TomBartonSports.com. Tommy, happy holiday to you and the family. We'll talk in a couple weeks, my man. Happy Thanksgiving Day, everybody. 
For Tom Barton, Ryan, have a good holiday as well, my friend. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks' time, December 3rd and 4th. We'll get the whole weekend to spend with Heat Wave Sports. Enjoy your week until then. Have a good one.